Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson and once again I am back to host this episode and as always I'm joined by Scott and yours. Guys, how are you doing this evening? Hello guys, hello everybody, hope you've had a good week. Um, I just want to let everyone know there will be no secret meetings here. Everything will be above board and there for your listening pleasure. But wouldn't you say the same if there would be a secret meeting? <laughs> That's the very definition of a secret meeting. You should hear what we say in private, everybody. <laughs> or better yeah, we'll keep, yeah, keep that to ourselves, <laughs> I reckon. Uh, for those that don't know, there was a, a meeting of, of secret, well, meant to be a secret meeting about re- restructuring the league again among a couple of clubs. But it wasn't a secret because everyone knew kind of that it was going on or found out about it going on. Um, yeah, make of that what you will. Hopefully... They should at least give this structure a little bit of a chance before we start restructuring again. A couple of those teams as well might actually be in the league <laughs> in the future. So <laughs> maybe they want to get the restructure in now to save themselves. Who knows? Um, let's quickly go through this weekend's score roundup. Veselo, they beat Standard Liège 2-1 on Friday night. Genk, they beat Molenbeek. Uh, Molenbeek obviously under new management. That finished 3-1. Leuven could only draw 0-0 with 10-man Chalois. Antwerp, they lost at home for the first time in Yonks to Carve Mechelen. Circle of Bruges drew 1-1 with Club Bruges in a very entertaining Bruges derby. Uh, Courtright lost 3-1 at home to Union. Anderlecht had a crazy couple of minutes to win 4-1 against St. Sluden. And Ghent finally won in 2024 when they beat Erpen two goals to nil. Let's start then uh, in Veselo. Uh, obviously, Wrestler against Stan Liège, two sides looking to kind of pull away from the bottom few spots. Um, kind of going into this one, you're thinking if maybe Standard could win, they can kind of almost be feel a little bit safe, uh, just judging by points gaps and stuff like that. Not the aggressive starts when Kamal Sur gave away a penalty in around about the 34th minute. Who else? Nicholas Madsen stepped up, put it in the back of the net. He just doesn't miss penalties, this guy, does he? Uh, he's an absolute... Magis- a clin- he's a clinical from the spot. Standard did get themselves back into the game, though. Konstantin Leifis, um, I feel like he's constantly being told he's not good enough and should not be in this team. And then every season, they just kind of bring him back around about this point because they realise that they haven't got any other defenders. Um, he pops up with a goal just before half-time to make it 1-1. Then Griffin Yao scores one of the best goals of the weekend. Absolute thunderstrike from him to make it... 2-1 to Vestalo. And yeah, standard, as we kind of mentioned that secret meeting, they were one of the sides there, uh, <laughs> whether they should be, because <laughs> they are in all sorts, all sorts of trouble, just judging by the performance and the result in this one. And then people, and if there are any Everton fans listening, will probably know that owner 777, it's kind of been almost hinted that and kind of re- revealed this week that they, they basically need to buy Everton because they've kind of tied themselves up financially in so many different things but then with standard we know that there's been financial issues anyway so it's a pretty grim picture for the fans it's a pretty grim pretty grim picture for the club on the pitch I don't know they just were, I felt they were really lacking in this game I, I wasn't really impressed with them at all whereas Veselo I think yeah Rick DeMille's he's he's got them winning games he's got them exciting kind of turn around a little bit of a almost downwards kind of turn in formula is the honeymoon period over but I think this result, I feel quite confident in them being able to avoid the drop. I feel like even if they went into the bottom four, I think the football that they play is so much more dynamic than other teams. Uh, I don't know if you guys agree, but I think they just look a much better team and they're actually quite a nice team to watch on their day as well. 
It's funny, isn't it, what happens when a coach comes in who people just kind of quite like and respond to, uh, and respond to instantly as well. Um, real real results straight away. Um, pretty straightforward win for Westerlo, really. I mean, I, I felt going into this one that they were obviously the side who had more firepower and you felt were more likely to score goals. We know what standards issues have been all season and they've just come right back, right back to the fore here. It was interesting going into this one as well because Ivan Leko was saying, look, one win the week before changes nothing for us at all. Um, we're in exactly the same situation. So I think he was trying to guard against, you know, people letting their own guards down there rather wisely. Um, offensively, really, really poor um, this weekend. Absolutely nothing really to, to show for themselves at all. And I suppose the main question with Standard at the moment, and Ivan Leko will be asking this of his own players on the training pitch, are you, are you up for it, guys? Because they're in a situation now where looking at looking at these last four fixtures of the regular season, they've got Union away, Ghent at home, Genk away, and on the last day of the regular season, they are at home to Oipen. That at the moment looks like the only one you would think they, you know, they're likely to perhaps win. But even then, you can't say that with 100% confidence. So, you know, the worries are real, folks. And it does happen to sides where they get sucked in in the last couple of weeks. And before you know where you are, you know, you're, you're in a situation that you don't want to be in. And as Ben's been saying now for the last few weeks, if you get sucked into that relegation playoff, I don't think anybody can be confident of playing any of those sides in the Challenger Pro League who, who you're going to be facing as well. So Standard need at least one win, arguably two, in those remaining four fixtures, I think, to, to, to be really sure of it. Um, Westerlo, I've got plenty of points available to them, I think. They've got St. Truden away, Charleroi at home, Mecklen away, and Genk at home. So they'll fancy their chances of picking up a few more points before the end of the season. Um, Nicholas Madsen has been saying eighth penalty of the season, I think. Absolute pen king, no doubt about it. You know, the Iceman from the spot. Um, Romeo Vermont continuing to to impress. He's picked up a little knock, I think, now. So hopefully that isn't going to impact too much because um, he's been really good since he came in on loan. And Ben mentioned Konstantinos Lifus earlier. No offence to Konstantinos, but, you know, when, when he is Standard's best player probably in this game, that kind of gives you an idea of you know how low things have have sunk for them at the moment. Yeah, and well, it's not the it's not only that he comes back into the fold, but also he he does want to leave as well. Well, at least that's <laughs> what it seems to be in every in every transfer window. Well, at least in summer, I don't know if it was this winter, but uh, after every season there's these rumors, but they somehow never materializes. And, well, they're stuck with each other, it seems. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Wester also leapfrogging Standard uh, with this win, of course, for 10th spot. Um, also, the reason why I'm also really not that worried about them anymore. Well, I don't think that's a really uh, uh, shock, shocking news there. But uh, they they have by far the best uh, attack in the in the second half of the league as well in the league table. Uh, most main, most goals scored there, of course. Of course, at least eight of them are penalties. That that also helps, I guess. But nonetheless, uh, you have to get the yeah the, there on the pitch uh, to to get these penalties anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, already got a mention, uh, but he, I think he deserves another one specifically, not only for his goal, which which is arguably indeed one of the best of the weekend. Although we haven't been short of uh, of nice goals, not only this weekend, actually the last couple of weeks. 
um, but also throughout the season, I guess he's seen he's shown some glimpses that he can can do so, give the, give the size something extra. Um, yeah, of course, he's, he's not, he doesn't do it consistently enough anyway. But definitely from Westerlo's side, another one to watch together with Fermant, I guess as well. Um, but okay, he's uh, he's only alone on loan at the moment. So um, that's that's maybe still a different story, but uh, yeah, Griffin Yao, yeah, want want to keep an eye out on um, from from them. Um, for standard, well, do they need to have two wins really? I yet I don't know. That seems a bit more large because they would have the same point points uh, as uh, Sintra as the moment have, and they've had a great season. Okay, uh, it, they still would have even if they wouldn't get any points. I think they will be happy uh, with, with where they are anyway. But uh, to put that in bit, a bit of context there, uh, but yeah, they, they only got six wins as well all all season uh, standard. So yeah, that that of course. Makes, doesn't make it easy to make to make it two wins out of four now. Uh, f- five points out of the possible 18 under Leco as well. Um, yeah, and okay, Scott already mentioned their schedule. It is a difficult one. Uh, and they have one of the worst attacks. I think, like, actually this weekend they they are they moved on to the third worst instead of the second worst. Uh, but that's mainly because of another side, which we'll talk about later. That... Uh, yeah, maybe for them it's not less not bad that they they have the schedule because well they even this season it has been a while since they have played against the bigger sides I guess since that since they're all lined up now but they've actually gotten some points and then played quite well in this uh, in against the, uh, those sides uh, as they did last season so maybe they will be actually not be the schedule won't be too bad for them in that sense like uh, yeah in in these big games they seem to still show up um, will it be enough. We'll have to see. Also, some of two of the three sides are of these bigger sides. I suppose also coming out from a, from a yeah um, a, a topsy turvy form at best. Probably a low or actually just climbing out. Maybe maybe a bit early after for both sides uh, their first win in the twenty twenty four. But I'm I'm already spoiling so many things here. But uh, although Ben already mentioned uh, went through all the, the the things of course but uh, other two teams won their first games uh, this this weekend as well and do they still have to face them as well so they ha- they have done as well as them uh, already in 2024 <laughs> in that sense i guess so uh anyway we'll see how it goes our main main message is like maybe the schedule looks bad for standard on paper but maybe in reality it's not so bad for them yeah i just i don't get that same sort of like vibe from this team that we did kind of you know, I know what you're saying you're like obviously last year they had that under under Dyler and then they had it a bit to start this year where it's like yeah no they'll they love playing these big teams but this team that's the way they play at the moment I just don't get that kind of sense of kind of cohesion fight I think you mentioned it there Scott like getting them in and like do you actually care like yeah. about this club like I don't know how you can play at home in front of those fans and not feel like inspired to play and inspired to, to give you all for them um I don't know you just kind of it's, it's for me like kind of one of the, the big kind of telltale signs is like last year how good was like William Balakrishna was one of one of the best players that we saw in the league I thought he was fantastic in the midfield he was so exciting and entertaining he barely gets a look in now he just looks a complete shadow of himself like devoid of all confidence whereas then yeah Vessel on the other hand they look, they look great and I think what Wigdom has done is he's, he's kind of he's put the pieces in place that kind of balance the side and the style of play is much more balanced. And I think that's down to kind of having like someone like Sidorczyk in the midfield that 
kind of like works between the defence and the attack and kind of does help link stuff and break stuff up. I think he's been really, really good. Especially like when, yeah, when I saw them against Ghent, I was really impressed with kind of the stuff that he does and the, the volume of kind of work he gets through. I think he's been much, much better over the last couple of weeks. And I think since Victor Mills come in, he's yeah kind of really helped balance the side. Um, Yoris obviously mentioned one side that got their first win in 2024. So let's go to them now. Uh, Genk against Molenbeek. <laughs> uh, didn't start great. Uh, for Genk. New man Bruno Irles. Uh, I keep calling him Ilrez. I need to get that one right, but maybe he won't be here long enough for me to have to worry about getting his name correct. I was just um, going to say that. I says, yeah, keep, <laughs> keep, keep wait until we know. <laughs> yeah, we'll just call him Bruno until it, it sticks. Uh, he's obviously in until the end of the season. Um, Scott, I'm sure you can give us a little bit of a lowdown on him later on. Uh, from all the kind of noise coming out, it didn't sound like he was the first choice, which is always like a big red flag. Um, we didn't get off to the worst of starts. Alberto uh, on loan from you know who in Brazil. He gives them the lead after two minutes. But then Bilal El Canus is like, nah, actually, come on. I deserve more assists this season. Let's not put him in the back of the net. His corner comes in. Tolu heads it in. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw at half time, they obviously do those weird kind of in game interviews with players. And they're like, not the best head you ever scored, Tolu. And he's like, uh, it, was, it was all right. <laughs> it wasn't. I was pretty happy with it. The goal went in, <laughs> so he was a bit like, oh, but yeah, that was a Cadiz uh, cross. But then the next one, the pass to to Luca Oyen, it was so good it almost fooled Luca Oyen. Oyen thought it was going to go over his right shoulder, but he slotted it through the left instead. And you see Oyen look to his right and realize, oh, the ball's over there instead. It's he was just so open. Lovely finish from him. It's so nice seeing those two kind of youngsters link up. Even though because I always forget that Oyen's older. Than Canus. I always thought El Canus, he just looks a little bit older. And I think the way he plays, he's got that kind of mature head. But yeah, Oyen's actually a year older than him at least. Uh, so that made it 2-1. And I think at that point, Gate really did deserve to turn it around. Van der Voort had made a couple of decent saves and Molenby could miss a couple of chances. And it was one of, you could just feel that kind of tension in the crowd, couldn't you? That kind of, when they miss the chance, it goes a little bit silent. And everyone's like, well, we're not comfortable in the lead that we've got. But I thought in the second half, Genk should definitely have put the game away. I think they had plenty of chances to do so. Finally did uh, when Eluadi uh, found Sakili to make it 3-1 deep into, well, not deep into Adetan, just into added time. No first win for Bruno. Um, although Adamola on loan from Crystal Palace at halftime was like, yeah, no, we're quite happy with the boss. He's come in and given us some new ideas and stuff. And it's always kind of telling when they say like, what they've what's been going on in the training ground and how it's different and you're like what does that say about the previous leadership um but yeah really good win for Genk quite an important win because it keeps them on track to kind of push for that top six for Molenbeek it's just another kind of weekend without any points and just slipping further into that situation where I feel like it's almost that we just got to accept that they're probably going to be in the playoffs at the moment, in the relegation playoffs. It feels they're kind of destined for that bottom four. Where they'll end up in that is anyone's business, but they could do with at least putting some sort of decent form together before the end of the season, just to at least give themselves a chance. Yeah, well, I'd, I won't say too much about Genk here, other than this was a deserved win. Joris can give us a full dissection on the Genkies in a second. But in terms of Molenbeek, I think... Um, 
some reasons to be positive. Ben mentioned Carlos Alberto, who I think for a couple of weeks now is, is looked not bad, actually, um, starting to contribute a bit as well. I think the main thing for, obviously, Molenbeek this week, you know, the new coach come in, Bruno Erles, as, as Ben was saying there, he was talking a lot about pragmatism uh, this week and just being very honest and saying, look, you know, how I want to play is kind of irrelevant at the moment. There's there's a very practical job to be done here um, to to kind of keep us up. And that's all he's, he's focused on, as Ben was saying, short-term deal probably will be extended if, if he can get the job done and keep them in the top division. Um, slightly surprising appointment, as Ben was is kind of getting at as well. I don't think any of us saw this one coming. And as soon as his name was dropped in, um, across media circles, it was almost done. So I think the decision was taken very, very quickly here. They did speak to a lot of people. Some people, you know, reasonably exciting names that, you know, people will know. But I think because of the circumstances the club were in, I think a lot of people weren't prepared to touch this with a barge pole, uh, which I can kind of understand. But Bruno Arles, um former Monaco player, of course, um, in, in his playing career, uh, had to retire early, I think, uh, 20, 28, 29, I think. He, he sustained an injury that kind of put pay to things. Um, and he actually starts his coaching career um, like a lot of coaches nowadays as a as an analyst, in this case an opposition analyst for Didier Deschamps when, when he was at Monaco. Um, so one of the things that Bruno has in his CV is working with tactically, I suppose, um, the young Yannick Carrascos of this world and the young uh, Kylian Mbappes um, during their time uh, at Monaco. And I'm sure that's a good uh, conversation and icebreaker for him when he when he meets people. But yeah, he kind of progresses, manages a few lower league French sides, has very moderate success there, wins the title in Moldova with uh, Sheriff Tiraspol, which, you know, you, you would hope he would because they, they win the title a lot. Um then comes back to France uh, to work for the City Football Group, of course, uh, who own Trois. Um, and this is, I think, probably why he's got this job in a way, because he saves Trois from relegation unexpectedly um, in, in a reasonably impressive turnaround there. Starts the following season quite positively, but still loses his job regardless. So he does have history of saving sides in a tight spot from the drop. Um, although... I'm just going to put this out there. You know, League One ain't the pro league, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and he looks a bit, I don't know how to describe it, a bit funny with his mustache. Like, the, 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 all, they had a goatee almost, actually, oh. even though. Almost. But, uh, yeah. The, well, anyway. Uh, but, okay, we're not judging him on that. Like, uh, it's like, I'm the last person to do so because, well, look at me. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, um, nonetheless, yeah. Um, very happy, finally, that for, uh, first win in 2024. Uh, a bit more staggering is it's also the first uh, game that Henk uh, turned around that they end won after going, by, going going behind. They hadn't done so this season so far. And, well, it's high time that that happens. <laughs> because uh, that, uh, well, yeah. And, uh, well, I, I actually didn't watch this game myself. I uh, was relatively happy about that for a while. <laughs> Luckily, that, uh, that proved to be a wrong feeling afterwards. Uh, yeah, Oya getting his chance again uh, and and, score, and being back on the score sheet will, will do him the world of good for his confidence. Uh, um, yeah, really needed that first goal in two years almost, I suppose that must have been, uh, because obviously last season he didn't. And... Um, 
yeah, and it was the first this season. And yeah, you could also see apparently that his game, uh, well, that he actually grew in confidence with the goal as well. Probably the whole side did a bit. It, uh, they got the lead and uh, he managed to do a bit more uh, and, uh, and and get some uh, damage done as well with the opponents. So uh, hopefully it actually indeed gives him confidence and uh, that he can play against uh, keep his place at the moment as well uh, a little more or at least get some more game time. Um, worth mentioning for Molenbeek is again maybe also um, yeah the boycott from the fans uh, for away fans uh, that uh, they they didn't go to the stadium although they did manage to get a lot of banners in uh, in their in the away end yeah uh, about um, yeah <laughs> aimed at John Dexter um, of course uh, and well. No, I don't. I, so they were actually in English, or at least some of them, but I, I don't remember exactly what was on there. But the, the gist was this: the, this club has a soul. Then, uh, uh, well, get out. <laughs> I guess. This Unlike club you, has you a want... soul, and you don't. I think that was yeah, the gist of it. <laughs> that's probably the gist of it. Yes. So that, mm-hmm. Yeah. Without completely being sure, I, I, I wanted to be pretty, pretty mildly still water it out a little, but nonetheless. And yeah, well, I'll also mention that video. A, a goal for the new manager after less than two minutes. That that must have been good. But uh, yeah, that was that really one of the uh, few good things for them. Although they actually had quite some chances in, or at least a few good chances still in the in the first half as well. Uh, Van der Voort with a really crucial save as well. So yeah, it was good to see the actually three youngsters uh, really shine in this game with uh, with Van der Voort, Oi, and El Canus. Um, yeah, and well, um, in the end, uh, this this doesn't bring uh, Henk into the the playoff spots, uh, Champions playoff spots yet, but uh, it's getting really tight now, really narrow. Uh, and um, well, I personally, obviously, hope uh, very subjectively that they win against Charleroi uh, on Friday, looking a little bit ahead. But I suppose many people would actually like that as well, because if they do, we tend to to big games between two rivals right above them, it could suck in Antwerp and Clubrugge in the mix again as well. Uh, and Genk also needs to still play Clubrugge, for example, at home uh, still. So, like, yeah, just th- these places are... They could open up from top and bottom. Uh, let's uh, let's put it that way. But we'll talk a bit more about that uh, a bit later on as we had a listener's question about this as well. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thought I'll just give it a everyone, yeah. everyone needs to go, <laughs> go cheer for Hink. They have a terrible record on Chagramadoso as well. So I have to <laughs> already lower the expectations as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a nice little tease towards uh, uh, that listener question, which is a good one. And I think you're right. Yeah. When you look at, if you get the table up now while you're listening, you can kind of see what you're just talking about, how tight it is from Genk up to, to Club Bruges. There's really not a lot in it. Um, Speaking of Charlotte, let's move on to what was uh, not one for people that like entertaining football or goals or anything like that. Um, Leuven at home to Charlotte. Uh, I guess kind of the big main part of this game, kind of it did have a big impact on it. Etienne Kamara, one of their new signings, picked up a pretty stupid first yellow, kind of waving his hand back and hipping um, Platics in the face. And then he just, comp- I can't remember who he wipes out, but he just, I think it might be Mertens or someone like that on the counter, just absolutely wipes them out. It's so pointless. He just, he's, he's obviously a second year that gets himself sent off. Um, but this, yeah, this was a game lacking any real quality. Um, just look at the numbers. And I, I did watch this game and I was like, that, 
surely there was a shot on target from one of the sides, but apparently there wasn't. And I'm like, there must have been something. Um, but I don't know. I think well, from the stats that I saw, it's 17 shots Levin had, none on target. Six for Charleroi, none on target. Levin, obviously, the moment the red card happened, just kind of dominated possession, uh, dominated the ball and stuff like that. But just couldn't find a way through. And it's just... It's not a great result for either side. It's one of those games that they'd have looked at the schedule and thought, "That's well, if we can win that, we can start to build something, maybe some distance. But it keeps them both just locked into 12th and 13th spot in the table. Um, does at least bridge a little bit, like makes the gap with Molenbeek three points, um, if that's going to be important at some point, potentially. Uh, but I guess, guys, we probably shouldn't dwell on this game too much because there's not much to say, but it's also not really a surprise that these two sides kind of ended a game that had a game like this, like you, you could probably see it coming quite clearly. Well, Ben was talking there about how this game uh, lacked quality. And as he was kind of hinting at, if I tell you that neither uh, Toby Layson, who we've been raving about, you know, pretty positively for a wee while now, who's been a big player for Leuven, nor Charlewell's Hair of the Cat Coffee had a single save to make, neither of them. That tells you how blunt this game was um, on the whole. Leuven marginally better, I think, in terms of their bravery. Um, a draw, definitely the right result. It was always going to be nil-nil when you look at it like that. Big positive for me, uh, John Thorsteinson, shout out to him this week. By far Leuven's best player, not only in this game, but arguably their best player of the season and you know he's playing on a side just now that that just you know are I can say it because he won't want to say it but I I think he's better than that I think he deserves better for for what he's putting in there as well he actually created a fair bit this weekend but there was nobody in the end of anything or, or willing to try and be in the end of it so you know a good shift from him but you know really frustrating at the same time um and both of these two kind of fighting for their lives at the moment. Leuven's running. Uh, they've got Molenbeek away uh, this weekend in a massive game. Both of those sides will be looking at this going, if we win this, then just, you know, maybe we can breathe a sigh of relief a little bit. Um, they've also got uh, Union, San Joao at home, Club Brugge and uh, Mecklen at home as well before before the, the end of the regular season, Leuven. So, yeah. These two sides trying desperately, desperately to to avoid that 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 playoff spot. Felix Mazu this week actually on the subject of Charleroi was saying he is certain that if they maintain the team spirit that they've shown in the last two or three weeks, that they will just be able to do it, and he can breathe again. Um, and about that, I thought, well, that's the only positivity kind of coming out of the zebra camp at the moment. Outside of the clean sheets, I guess that that goes for both sides. That's the only positive I can notice for this. Also interesting, the stats I had was uh, 17 shots for Leuve and only one on target, but uh, FODMAP has changed that indeed to, to nil now. So interesting how, how such thing happens. So was there, maybe there was one small save for that. It maybe it was just a cross-picking being picked up or anything. So like, well, anyway... It doesn't matter much, uh, not much action from either side, but mainly Leuven will be complaining a bit about that, I guess, since, yeah, well, they played against 10 men for a long while and 17 shots, uh, like I said, only one on targets. That's that's showing how inefficient you are. Charleroi, uh, on the other hand, six, uh, and indeed also none on targets. Yeah, uh, on, oh yeah, maybe another one, uh, another positive for Charleroi for some of the fans, although... 
in hindsight, maybe not that positive. They they had given the away fans, uh, you know, they they had bought the tickets, so the free tickets for this game. But ultimately, maybe that was a, a bit of a yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay, you, you have to be happy with whatever what is what has been given to you, I guess. That's, but uh, yeah, and there's still no way win for them. <laughs> yeah, Do you reckon they were still asking for refunds? Yeah. <laughs> we have our time back, like yeah. It's more valuable, I presume. <laughs> so, yes, but on and maybe yeah. Actually, somehow I found another positive, but not well with the quality of the game. But more maybe for the sides, then they'll. It, it well, positive it depends. Like it, it makes it really intense there at the in and out section of the relegation playoffs. because uh, both sides are still standing next to each other, just being divided uh, by by goal difference at the moment which can turn any week. We know how things happen in the last week sometimes, especially with opponents um, well, that might not have that much to play for, even though that's somehow a thing that this, this league system is kind of undermining. There's not that many teams that will have nothing to play for um, by the end of the, the regular season. But um, yeah, yeah. so far that that's really tight. And maybe indeed for both of them it, it somehow might be the worst result for standard actually here because one win for either side or for well would put either side above the standard if they would have the same amount of uh, points since they both would have won more games yeah to ma- potentially drag standard indeed a bit more uh, well, actually into this uh, fight um they still see, they are in this fight, but they still seem to float above a little bit uh, so far all season. But yeah, not that much is needed. Uh, more weirder things have happened, stranger things have happened. Uh, but um, that, if then, yeah, that that would now happen. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I think I said it to you guys this week, don't we? We've got like a a balloon footballing crisis going on in Charlotte and Standard, and who knows this time. In our pre-season preview, I mean, it's very, very unlikely that both go down. I think one could very easily go down, but I don't think both would take something remarkable from Urpen or Molenbeek to kind of to stop that happening. Well, Urpen technically is also a loon. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, they're kind of. <laughs> I was kind of hesitant to always stick them in there, <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was going to say, like, wouldn't it be funny if we're, we're talking? RFC Liège is the only Walloon side in the in the Foley because they get promoted or something. How what mad turnaround of events that would be! Um, I'm sure their fans would absolutely love that. But yeah, we could have a could have a season next year with none of them in the league, which would be it's never happened before, has it? I can't when since the league's been kind of a combined regional thing rather than separate regional ones because I think Standard haven't been out of it since the 20s or something. Um, and I presume RFC have probably like, there would have been a Walloon side in the kind of the league before then, so that would be quite. Something. I would think Any, so. <laughs> yeah, if James Kelly's listening, if he's and obviously he wrote that incredible book, maybe he'd have an idea of if that has ever happened. Um, Everyone knows what we're going to do after this week's episode. We're all going to be rushing to to get those balloon stats. The last time, yeah. last time there was no balloon side in the top division. <laughs> Normally, we do know this stuff actually, but you know, it had to happen at some point. Our erstwhile yeah. host asked us a question we didn't know off the top of our head. That's why. That's why I like being wrong occasionally. It keeps things interesting. But we'll find out. It's on our toes, definitely. Uh, let's go to Antwerp. Uh, and they faced Mechelen at home, uh, a game of counter-attacking football from the away side and very effective counter-attacking football, I have to say. 
although Antwerp did have a chance just before half time to take the lead. Um, foul from was it Garangana or Antonio? I can't remember or Mukai. One of those guys. I, can't, I think it might be Mukai uh, with a foul in the box. Um, I wasn't really watching that closely, as, as you can tell. Uh, I know Slimani was mainly the main guy pointing like, what? <laughs> That's a penalty. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he committed the... F- Did he commit the... Someone I'm committed the doesn't, doesn't need to be. doesn't mean that. I can see Slimani complaining, even if he was at the other end of the pitch, looking in the opposite direction. I feel like he's the sort of bloke that would be like, That's not a penalty, even though I, I could not advise in the back of my head. Um, but I know that Macau got booked, so I presume it, it might have been him. Uh who cares? So Antwerp got a penalty. Alderweireld fell over and put it <laughs> wide. Um, and then, yeah, Mechelen's counter-attacking football in the second half, I thought it was just fantastic. They had so many chances. A great one where Mrabti went round uh, Butte, but kind of found the side netting. And I think he's not fast. He's not that mobile, but he's very effective at the start of players in Islamani. There's, he just His intelligent kind of runs... He's just like his physicality and trying to get the ball. And it, it really did work with the likes of Bill Antonio, Morabti, Scoofs as well, kind of bombing forward, Fulan as well. Like at times he was getting forward. Like it really, really did work. And it was Slimani who eventually, from a counter attack, found Morabti. This time he decided not to even try and go around Boutet, just absolutely leathered it into the back of the net. Uh, Lauerbach came on. He had a chance on the counter to kind of put it in as well. He went round. I think he went round Cook as well and then found the side netting. So they had plenty of chances on the break, Mechelen. I thought it was just seemed like very effective, very kind of well thought out style of play that for some reason Antwerp just couldn't really deal with, which was strange because like this isn't the first time they faced a side that can counterattack like that. But I do generally think Slomani made a massive difference to the way they were playing and stuff. And you could just see them, they'd look up, they'd see a cross on the like, yeah, well, let's just stick it in the box because if he might get on the end of it. So you just see this kind of, this, there's a reason this guy is the, the highest scorer for Algeria in history. Do you know what I mean? Like this, he's a very, very clever footballer and a very intelligent footballer. And he's already bringing the, the, the passion and the side of him that I think this club loves to see and the fans would love to see. So yeah, I was just full of kind of, enjoyment watching him play he's just so entertaining to me to watch a striker that just loves to, to bully people and you can tell he's still like oh going up against Alderweireld this is going to be fun let's get him some tussles uh, Antwerp then did send Alderweireld up front for the last couple of minutes uh, to try and get back in the game but Kook made a couple of decent saves and then I think he came for a couple of corners and crosses that were just really really important for him to get and he got them and I thought one of his more assured games Galangana at the back there Looks a decent player. Uh, looks like he could be quite good. Fulan, again, had a couple of chances on the break. Just I think I've been saying his name every week now, guys. I haven't heard how impressed I am with him as kind of a left wing back. Um, so, yeah, I was really, really impressed with Mechelen, despite not having much of the ball. More so than I was disappointed in Antwerp. I just thought they got kind of outplayed in this game. And I'm like, that's going to happen at some point. And it did in this one. And full credit to Mechelen. I thought they were despite not having much of the board or anything like that, I thought their performance was deserving of at least a point and probably all three. Well, that was Antwerp's first home defeat, I think, since last March. Um, Their home form has been excellent, even when they haven't necessarily been playing that well. And I don't think anybody thought that Mechelen were going to be the side to go to the Bossel and, and, and beat them 
first. Um, they've they, they've been enjoying themselves, to be honest, since since the turn of the year. They've not lost uh, since we've come back from the winter break. They've won four, drawn two, um, and there's just just a general kind of feeling of positivity about the place now that that, that wasn't there not so long ago. So quite a big change in a short space of time against the odds as well. You know, no money really spent. Um, in the window, very little manoeuvrability, and there w- there wasn't much of a sense of um, there 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 being this kind of turnaround. I don't think, to be honest. So fair play to Besnet Cassie. He's come in. He's got inside everybody's heads, and um, you know he's he's getting he's getting some results at the moment. He was talking this week actually about uh, next season, and as we know, his deal is to the end of this season, and then they'll have a look at it. And he, he was more or less signalling via the media this week that he's enjoying himself there and that he would definitely be open to staying. So, you know, he's opening the conversation very wisely through media channels um, already. Um, Slomani, as Ben was saying, really, really good. I mean, I know there were questions about this signing in terms of really a 36-year-old, even on a short-term deal. But the thing about Slomani, and he's kind of proven this here, although we did know it, Ben's talking about his intelligence. He's always running into the right areas. He's always playing the ball into the right areas and he's always in the right area. So it's up to you to kind of find them. And at 36, to still be able to do that without really dropping off that much, and he hasn't, gives you an idea, I think, about his his, his appetite and his motivation and, and, and things like that. And even in a short-term deal, I think this is going to work out really well for them. It's just lifted everybody as well because we know that putting the ball in the back of the net was becoming a pro- well has been a problem for most of the season for them uh, to varying degrees. The other big plus this week, obviously, is Nicola Storm coming back. Another huge lift, massive player for the club. You know, you throw Slomani in, who's going to get fitter yeah, each week a little bit. Uh, Storm, obviously, is not 100% fit, but again, he's going to get slightly better. Just having them around, I think, could, 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 make a, could make a difference. I'm in a situation now where everyone's going... What about this outside chance of them squeaking into playoff one? Because they, they still have one, and I think they will rely on other results going their way if, and it's a big if, that's going to happen. But they've got themselves into a situation that even I didn't think they were going to be in two or three weeks ago. Yeah, last week I already said not going to happen. <laughs> you know, so far I'll still stick with that, but still, I don't think I, you're going to be too complaining about it. Too much complaint about it, uh, given the situation a few months ago. But uh, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, talking about things that we, that we talked about last week. Uh, last week, Dwayne was saying like uh, Janssen missed, uh, well, left the penalties for Alderweireld, uh, and uh, Janssen does miss them. Alderweireld, well, he didn't. But uh, yeah, that that didn't age so well. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, so uh, that's uh, uh, well, that, that that was one of the worst penalty misses. To be honest, I also don't not very confident that that would have, would have been well would be a penalty for me, but. Uh, in that sense, maybe justice uh, was served. But I, yeah, I really it, liked. Uh, you guys have seen this as well, actually. When he slipped and he missed it, it was Cook's reaction, which I thought was brilliant. He no mercy, no sympathy whatsoever. He was right in his face. Fucking yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course, it's more the, the way that he, that he, that he in ultimately fumbled it. Uh, that, yeah. that was a bit uh, the funny part there. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, but okay, despite what I said last week and what I'm still saying, um, like favor a schedule maybe actually for, for Mechela uh, to, to get uh, to, to help to well, at least to, to, to tickle a bit more on, on this playoff spots. 
uh, champions playoffs, uh, with also a crucial game against Cirque Bruggen as well, that it actually could prove crucial. Uh, well, there are a few games in that area of the classification that still co- coming that that well could make things uh, teams and things swing one way or another. Um, and um, yeah, f- first goal against Antwerp for Mechelen that was as well in uh, the last six um, head-to-heads <laughs> fixtures, and it wins in the game. So that that's uh, it's really good. <laughs> Even though also there, I would argue Butte could have done better there probably, but uh, it went a bit above him. I guess it was of course a a hard a very hard shot, but I feel like. The the best uh, beauty that's more of a of how how high we rate him I guess would have gotten that, uh, but here like well yeah he's 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 not bad but he's indeed also not completely in that form of last season anymore either although like, he's still one of the best keepers of the in the league of course but um, yeah that's he he has shown a little more of his um, yeah the moments where he where he does have to, yeah well he has these moments again that he did have that a few seasons ago as well last season he managed to keep that to a minimum now it seems to come back slightly uh not to the same extent as before i think but yeah there, there definitely have been some moments this week uh, this season where he could have done better and uh, maybe gotten Antwerp something out of some games um well on a few rare occasions but um yeah, and like I said, well, Antwerp, uh, uh, we're, we're hinting at was Antwerp, uh, hinting at before Antwerp, not completely safe out uh, for for these playoff spots uh, as well now because of this loss. Yeah, no, they're definitely not fully in it. That's for sure. And I think kind of going back to Hazi and and kind of next season, you could do that old. Um, was it Rio Ferdinand with Oli Gunnar Solskjaer? He's like, just put the piece of paper down, let him write whatever number he wants and just sign a damn thing. Um, don't think Mechelen will want him to write any number he wants because there's definitely <laughs> limited funds. But maybe just give the man a golden carolus and just let him just, just sit there and kind of enjoy next season or something. I don't know. I feel like you've got to give him another year. And I think Slomani has shown to me, like, I think the fear probably Anderlecht had about him was like, at some point this man is going to slow down and we don't want to pay him too much and commit too long to him. But maybe Mechelen could be like, well, look, no one else is going to give you this this kind of opportunity to play at this this level, but we're happy to give you another season. I think another season of him could be great because they could be like, look, we did it with Igor Di Camargo. Like, we used him in a way that we transitioned him from kind of player to coach as well during that period and stuff like that. So I'd like to see both stay for another season, I think, if they can do that, I think Hazi's he's, he's earned that right, hasn't he? He's, he's earned the right to kind of come back next year with a fully fit Nicholas Storm because like, I don't think we'll see a fully fit Nicholas Storm until next season now. Um, and I hope they don't push him. There's literally no point forcing the man back in. I think it's give him, take it easy with him, just mm. introduce him slowly and build him up over the over the summer. Um, a shame because he's just he's probably missed out on his move now, hasn't he? Like he probably should have had it a couple of years ago injuries and then staying around and stuff like that it's it's definitely cost him which is a real shame let's go to the Bruges derby on Sunday which I guess we could say it was kind of a similar vibe in the sense that one team is very much looking to just play on the counter and the other team was very happy to have the ball and kind of dominate possession somehow there were no penalties in this game and I'm talking about both sides I, I think there could easily have been some pens in this one um first one for me, I mean, it all kind of all kind of came in the second half, didn't it? There was a couple of decent chances for both sides in the first half, like Circa very much happy to kind of sit and look to break. Uh, Felix and Martial were kind of trying to lead them and push them forward when they were doing that. 
club very happy to kind of have the ball and try and create in the around the box and stuff like that. So it's a really nice kind of contrast of footballing styles, which was quite nice to see rather than both teams trying to play the same way. Um, whether you enjoy Circa's slightly more direct style of play, I know not, not everyone did this weekend, uh, but it's how they play and it's how they've, they've always kind of played this season. Uh, we get into the second half and yeah, first kind of penalty shot, I believe it was Nielsen and Miange. Miange just kind of goes through the back of him and I was like, well, that, that's, a, that's got to be a penalty, isn't it? Like, surely doesn't get the ball and just goes through the back of him. They didn't give it. So I was like, okay, like, let's let's see how this one goes. The Marshall goes down the other end. It just He just picks up the ball and just runs past almost everyone. Um, and then Van Aken chips him up. Either inside or outside the box, it's kind of hard to say. But if it's inside the box, it's a penalty. Uh, but it's like, okay, they didn't give the Nielsen one. They haven't given this one. At least we're getting some inconsistent inconsistency, I guess we could say, in that these have been given penalties right across the season. But for some reason... They are decided in this game there's going to be no such thing as penalties. Um, another one, I can't remember if these happened before or after the goal, which we will touch on, but we'll talk about these penalty shouts. Augusto gets the wrong side of Ordinez, who just bundles him over. It's such it's awful defending to begin with because he kind of lets the ball bounce over his head and Augusto gets on the on the goal side of him. Then he just like collapses into him, brings him down. Again, Cena given could have easily been a penalty for me. Uh, and then the final one with Yukla, uh, I believe he turns Popovich, maybe. He just sticks a lazy leg out, brings him down. It's a little bit theatrical from Yukla, but again, seen them given like there's contact in the box, you could you could easily give a penalty there. But they, yeah, they literally just decided at this point that no one is getting a penalty in this game. You'd literally have to kind of break someone's leg, I reckon, to to give get a penalty awarded in this one. But it didn't happen. Uh, but the moments that we did see from this game. Valerson had a, a really good game. I thought I thought he made some really, really good saves, came for crosses as well. Kind of like we're saying with Kuki, came for some crosses and stuff like that and actually got there. And that's one area of a game that you're always a little bit like, you've. All, I think we've always known he's a very, very decent shot stopper. Like that's he's, he's got good reaction and stuff, but it's the other parts of his game we're a little bit concerned about. He actually gets an assist in this one, apparently. Although I'm kind of non-convinced about it, but head at the back post from, from a Club Bruges player, I can't remember who it was. Looks like it's going in, but he just dives to his right, tips it straight to the feet of Alan Minder, who just looks up and is like, I'm just going to run with it from my own box. I'm just going to run around everyone. Um, I think he was quite fortunate that the players coming back were De Kuyper, uh, Olsen, and I think that was it. And then there was someone else who, a Noosa as well. So he had De Kuyper, uh, Oy, uh, Olsen and Noosa. Not the three most kind of defensive mind of, players even though one of them is actually a defender um couple of step overs uh he cuts in front of someone and then smashed it into the back of the net maybe Minule could have done better I'm not too sure it does kind of like take a little bobble over his hand just before uh finding the back of the net circle and just kind of sit back for most of that kind of after that they're very happy to defend club do have a couple of chances with violence and makes a couple of good saves but then noosa gets his assist lovely cross euclid with a really nice header nothing violence can do about that it finds the back of net game finishes 1-1 rodriguez gets sent off for a foul on violence that's then rescinded he didn't get sent off anyway uh it's all just kind of kicking off at the end which is what you want to see in a derby lots of away fans there as well so it's a really really good atmosphere at the yan Prydol. Yeah, I really enjoyed the, the, the Bruges derby this weekend. Um, one of the most entertaining games of the weekend, which I was so pleased about because this derby has 
kind of been in the shadow of of other derbies, and it feels like recently, within the last couple of seasons, this this particular fixture started to kind of you know have a bit of added spice, and that's partly down, I think, to the the progress that Circle have been making. Um, in the last two or three years, it's really become a a, a bigger fixture um, on on the season calendar. Um, few things to take away for this game for me. Igor Tiago, what a week. What a week, guys. You know, um, unexpectedly, to, to everyone's amazement, seals a massive move to Brentford. Um, all eyes are on him. Um, we've had lots of questions about him this week. I've been talking about him a lot to a lot of people who've been asking me about him. Gets sent off twice. Only one one of them was real. Um Misses two really good opportunities to score. Um, yeah, I think he just felt the weight of the world on his shoulders. It was obvious that, you know, um, everyone was watching him this week, you know, and he certainly felt like that. Uh, we saw a wonder goal, as Ben was saying, Alan Minder's goal. I mean, what what can you say about that other than you don't see that very often? That's what Mira Muslich was saying afterwards. He was saying he didn't expect him to do that. He knows he's fast. He knows his role in this, the, the structure of the side in terms of the, the counter-attacking way that they can play but didn't expect him to do that. I was actually waiting for somebody to bring him down and just take a bullet, of course. Um, he gets to that point, and my reaction when he scored, I have to be honest with this, I just started laughing because, you know, it was just just one of those moments. Um, Circle are really good defending in this game. I thought the defending was really good, apart from the one moment where they let themselves down, and that is the smallest man on the pitch, the slightest man on the pitch in Ferran Yukla, who I'm quite a big fan of when he's on his game, managing to score unmarked with a header, the sort of thing that should never really happen. But, you know, that's what keeps football interesting. Big shout out to uh, Felix and Martial. I thought he was great as well. Um, really amazing run, you know, difficult to handle as well. And on club's part, I thought uh, Antonio Nusa and the Kuiper generally had pretty good games. We'll forget about the defending on the goal. I'm not completely sure if I agree on, on both players, but well, let's agree to disagree a little bit in that one, I guess, especially Nusa. But not that I'm, you need to expect that as well, but he did give that, that assist, of course, for, for Utila's goal. Yeah, and like not being marked is maybe even an understatement. <laughs> there was no one around for, yeah, a few meters around him, every corner side of him. So that that really shouldn't happen. Um, yeah, uh, but what else do we want to say about this game? Well, you guys said a lot of things already. It's the third uh, draw in a in a row now, a consecutive draw in the in the in the Bruges derby. Um, and Circle still being in the top six now with the finest of margins uh, on uh, games one, um, that is, at the moment. Um, if there would have been any other kind of indicator, there would not be uh, a differentiator between sides and the other leagues. Um, that, that would not have been the case. Um, on Minda's goal, also, I feel like it's a really great goal. But I'm going to dampen it a little bit. Like For me, it's not goal <laughs> of the season. As Yeah. He he does run a lot, uh, really fast, and that's really good. He only does well, only does one movement, but it's mainly the way the ball goes in. Eventually, without a wobble in the pitch, Mignolet just easily has that ball. It was just it was not a great shot, so that that's why for me it's regard despite all the effort he put in and everything, uh, like yeah, not the goal of the season for me. As, as yeah, the shot was just not of enough quality, I guess. Uh, that's a bit of luck that that, that the ball indeed got wobbled over over Mignolet's hands there, I guess. Um, other things to mention, yeah, Mignolet gaining time so that uh, that, that uh, Thiago could change his shoes, which is 
quite a ridiculous thing uh, to happen. We've seen it more often lately with the goalkeepers as well. I think Schmeichel did it at Anderrecht as well once. Not not completely the same, but more um, more as um, yeah. I think it was at that time for some tactical changes or anything that uh, to to get them done. Maybe a substitute as well um, to to force that. But yeah, it seems to be a new thing in the game. Goalkeepers, yeah, faking or yeah, well, yeah, faking injury. I guess you really can say that, especially since apparently I haven't watched it that that closely. But apparently, well, he he was claiming that he was hurt somewhere, well, somewhere else. And then when the physios came, they they were trying to fix up another part of his body. So yeah, okay, I, I, I haven't confirmed this. So okay, that's just that. But like, if that's the case, yeah, that that makes it even more ridiculous, I suppose. I did enjoy um, and, somebody um, on, on the subject of uh, referees, uh, goalkeepers rather feigning injury. Not not referees. One one was injured uh, in the face literally the other week. So yeah, on on the subject of uh, goalkeepers feigning things, I did laugh this week at somebody suggesting that that's what the blue card should be used for. Instances instances like that. Maybe people wouldn't have any complaints at all if they were used for things like that. But while we're on the subject of blue cards, it's a big no for me. Sorry, Oris. Yeah, <laughs> uh, all good, but uh, also like, well, what would happen if that would happen? Because you would still sub your goalkeeper often anyway. No, so that's uh, anyways. Uh, that that might indeed well stop these things from happening. Of course, that uh, that 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 effect w- might be there. Uh, anything else? Thirteen minutes added on. Still a bit of a weird thing. Um, okay, in the end, it didn't really change much, except Thiago did indeed get his uh, well second red card of the game. But uh, uh, yeah, that uh, on that and on Thiago then um, as well. Um, yeah, Thiago against the top nine in the league is three penalties scored, and I believe that's it. Maybe one field goal, but not more than that. So that's also telling to get also something to put in the equation. Um, but of course. Uh, he still has some games to do so to fix that stat because Clubri actually have quite a tough schedule in the, in the run-in for the playoffs. And of course, the playoffs themselves all would be against teams uh, in that bracket as well. But uh, yeah, definitely the, 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 yeah, something to, uh, yeah, that hasn't been weighed in, I guess, in his, in his, uh, in his um, transfer price. Where I still have some doubts, like how how it would be like the exact same price, but okay, that's a bit going to in conspiracy, I guess. So let's not go too far. But like the same price to the same team as Nusa, might there have been some one at Brentford already given a signature somewhere wrong or so, and they try to fix it somehow, or, the, or some deal has been in place. But you need to buy a player from or something. I don't know. But uh, that's that. And of course, also to come back to Thiago, the goal scoring set, of course, he also scored in Europe. Uh, so let, that's, let's not forget that at all to the other side, of course. But again, I guess also a bit more the Conference League, but he could still also prove his words um, there in the later stages, um, of course. But um, yeah, just a few things to mention there still. I, 37 million is just it's balmy. It is actually balmy to me. Uh, like from a, from a side that do such good recruitment as Brentford it's, it's a bit mental mm. in my opinion as well as I don't like yeah there's it's obviously circumstantial and contextual and all that but you do kind of have to look at the wider body of players that have left the pro league especially strikers to join the Premier League it's not really worked that well like yes there's context behind it the teams they've joined and stuff like that but it, it does mean something at the end of the day and I don't know if you're a Club Bruges fan 
and you saw you getting 37 million, I think you're just like, this is great. And he's staying to the end of the season. Like He's going to score some more goals for us. We're then going to get 37 million. We can buy three more good players to fill the squad out. Like It's just an absolute no-brainer for them. Like I think when, I think some club fans that I've seen have taken it as a criticism of them that we're saying he's not worth 37 million or some people. It's like, this is no way a criticism of the club. Like, this is actually very, very kind of like, it's high praise indeed to say that, again, they've just made a ridiculous amount of money out of a player that isn't, he's just not worth 37 million. He's just yeah. like, you see, like, you look at someone like Arthur Ramirez going for less than that and you're like, you look at Arthur Ramirez and you think, yeah, that, that, you can kind of see the progression kind of, because what you bought him for is not just the goal scoring and stuff like that. Whereas, I, I don't. I just don't see a thirty-seven million pound striker in, or thirty-seven million euro striker in in Rodriguez. I think he's a good player, but I don't think he's worth that much. And like for them, I'm like, well, like Eukla getting back fit would be a great boost anyway, because he's shown some moments that he can he can score some goals as well. So they'd have him still under contract, and then you think they'll just go and find another one. Probably <laughs> they'll then flog next season for crazy money, and they're going to sell Nusa probably in the summer for a, a great deal of money as well. So financially they're just in a fantastic position to to kind of boost the squad again and go again next season and be very very competitive without really losing too much in terms of on the pitch because they've kept both of those players for the end of this season so they can still win the league or compete for Europe get into Europe this season then go again next year with with some new players so yeah fair play and it's in kind of almost fitting that I don't know. I know Scott. You like to stick your neck out on the old socials, anyway, to kind of say say your opinion. You said I yeah. like a little bit of engagement. I do. <laughs> and you've got some flat from people, especially like Brentford fans. You've like, yeah. how much have they seen him play? Like that. That's yeah. the question I have. You. Let's be fair. Like we watch this league because we love it, but I yeah. barely. Like I said, like I can't believe they signed to some people. And they're like, who's that? Like they don't know who he is. So like, it's not like he's making lots of waves yeah. in terms of that and stuff. So. It's a, it's a weird one. I it, it definitely is weird, and it took everybody by surprise. This is a, another rare example of a transfer of which nobody knew anything about until it kind of happened, uh, which, to be fair, I'm going to impl- applaud both Club Brugge and Brentford for that because that's extremely unusual now. Um, it's funny because I, um, I've i been talking a lot about uh, Thiago over the last week or so. Um, I joined the lovely Joe Donohoe uh, Scouted Football to talk about recruitment in Belgium uh, recently, and we talked about Igor Thiago a couple of days before this deal went through. Um, I, I have never had a problem particularly with um, the bringing Thiago in. I think he he does kind of fit Brentford's recruitment model and fits the way that they play. The issue for me was always the actual fee, which is what I said in social media as well. I said, you know, I I think they've lost their mind a little bit on this one. Yours is right. I think there's a little bit more to it, you know, the ins and outs of it, which we might find out later um, because there's just too many coincidences kind of lining up here really in a way. But the fee itself, yeah, like you, Ben, I, I think it's just too much. It is just wild. And, I just hope they don't regret that and I hope it doesn't weigh in him next summer when he gets his move and, and and we'll find out because on his day he's extremely difficult to handle um and and, and a good player. So um the best of luck to him and he's given us he a statement this week. He misses chances and I think yeah. you just the Premier League is so brutal in the sense that you miss like a couple of chances and you're slated as a bad player and a, a mm. flop like instantly you're instantly called a flop like you look at someone like Sebastian Haller he got instantly labeled a flop because he didn't score goals but his game was never about scoring goals his game was link-up play and all this sort of stuff and it's 
And I think it's kind of, I guess maybe for us, like to, to me, like I hear 37 million, I'm like, that's an obscene amount of money. But for Premier League fans, it's just the, it's just normal. Like that's, that's your old kind of 10 million, like that was like, oh, it's a little bit expensive, but like maybe it'll be fine. Whereas the, like 37 million, it's just the, the amount of money in that, in that league is just so ridiculous that they can spend that. And to be fair to Brentford, they'll probably sell a couple of players that can replace it and stuff like that. But someone asked a question, didn't they, last week about, uh, about when, like, kind of transfer, like, good transfer policy could actually fail at some point. And you're, you've been very successful, but at some point it might not work. And you're like, this, in my mind, is one of those ones where it's like, this is a massive financial risk that you're taking where you probably didn't need to because I can't imagine club like they, if you said to the thirty-seven million, they would just be like, like I can imagine them just being like, "Oh, give us thirty-seven million, like let's take out the Noosa thing," and then Brentford saying yes, and then being like, "Oh, really? <laughs> You're really going to give us that much? Yeah, fine, like we'll take it." So, yeah, I, I, I it kind of like what you said as well, Scott. I hope it doesn't kind of become a label that's kind of round his neck and like weighs him down as a player because you just feel like if he comes in at a slightly cheaper rate where there's not all this kind of wow like he's come in because now the it's everyone's like he's the new Ivan Tony for them that that's mm. the boots he has to fill and they're big boots to fill mm. and they didn't spend that much to sign Ivan Tony like <laughs> they spent very little to sign Ivan Tony which is why he looked like such a successful player as well because it was like the small outgoing to kind of make it big whereas this is a big outgoing that you then need him to really, really produce. Like he's got to score the same amount of goals as Ivan Tony, and I don't think he finishes chances well enough mm. to do that in a league where you don't get as many chances as. Like, let's be fair, if Club Bruges are playing the likes of Erpen or someone like that, he he gets a ton of chances because a lot of the sides in this league are terrible defensively. <laughs> let's be fair, like we've mm. seen it. Um, whereas against Circle, like you said, they they defended quite well. He had two really good chances, and he, he blazed them both over the bar. So. Yeah. I don't know. Wish him all the best and fair like let's fair play Club Bruges, congratulations. Like that is a great sum of money and we spent quite a lot of time talking about it. But I felt like we just needed to get it off our chest in this forum rather than on kind of social media. And I don't know, hopefully for Brentford fans he does become a massive success and we're kind of eating our words. That'd be great. It'd be good for the league because it means more kind of big in big transfers and players teams can kind of ask for more money uh, from players and stuff like that. We mentioned just then about good recruitment. So let's talk about the team that people were asking us questions about last week. We have got a response about the academy, uh, which we will talk about in a little bit. But they, Union that is, travelled to Courtlake to play the basement side. And yeah, well, from the outside, you'd probably see this one top versus bottom. But how many times have we seen in any league around the world where top versus bottom does not go the way you expect it to go? Unfortunately for Kostrike, it went the way you expected it to go and it went the way you expected it to go quite early. Union obviously coming off the back of that two-all draw with Frankfurt in the uh, Europa Conference League. Another game where, I have to say, they went 2 down. I was like, that's it. They're done. Obviously, they just were never done. Uh, they came back to draw two-all. Uh, Rasmussen, who was involved in that game with a goal, then scores in this one within the first 10 minutes. Castro says has it 2-0 just before 20 Amura makes it 3-0 just after half-time. It's pretty much done and dusted then. Isaac Davis does get another goal to get um, to get caught, like slightly back into the game. But Union, 18 shots, nine of these on target. It was just kind of, for them, it was almost like a perfect way of just saying, no, no, we're, we're still a good side. We're still able to find goals. Like We're not faltering too much at the moment. Um, so a nice, solid win for them. For Kortzeich, kind of a three-hit this one. I know you can't really say that when they're in a position they are, but... 
not one they'd have expected to get three points from. They'd have obviously taken a point before the game, but this isn't one that's going to... Like they're, they're in the relegation playoff. Like That's what it is. They just need to focus on kind of keeping up with the teams that are around them. Straightforward away win, really. That's the best way to describe this game. Uh, you mentioned Rasmussen there. Really, really good this week, this weekend. Amura, again, I, I'm not sure what more we can say about him, really, at this stage. But I think for me... Um, in, in terms of Union's performance this weekend, that, that midfield totally ran this game. I mean, Puertas, Castro Montes, Rasmussen, Van Out, just, you know, you know, you know, it's like playground stuff for them this game, really, you know, just controlled the entire game, I felt, and, and were all really, really strong. And I think Kortreich just really struggled to get a grip of that midfield. And we know how good they can be up front, Union, but they never stood a chance when, you know, the midfield was controlled by the, in the entire game by by, by Union. Kortreich, obviously, extremely touch and go now. They've got Mechelen away, Molenbeek at home. Antwerp at home and Anderlecht away in the last four games, so it's it's yeah, it, it's not looking great for them at the moment. Um, but you know, we know what this league's like, so we just we just need to wait and see. It really can change very quickly for you again. Yeah, definitely. And if you pay attention, if you have paid attention, you can hear Molenbeek against a few of their straight rivals uh, coming up now as well. Which, well could either be in the end for them or maybe actually completely drag them out of the relegation playoffs uh, as well. So, like, yeah, the interesting weeks for coming for, for Molenbeek. But okay, yeah, that's not on this game, of course. Uh, yeah, for Kurtrek, yeah, has the Freier effect worn out? We saw what a clickbait side would say, I guess. Maybe, but we can't really say it's difficult. Uh, they can't, in, like Ben said, this is not really a game they would be expecting to take anything from necessarily... Uh, but anyway, remains to be seen uh, what what they can do, uh, and that, especially that game against Molenbeek uh, will, will be crucial for them. I guess if they win that one, that also gives them a little buffer for these other games. That well, they also could maybe approach a bit more like well, a bit more freely, like anything we can get out of it. Uh, depending on other results, of course, uh, they they might be in a position again where they will really need to take something before really being out of sight already. Uh, at the playoffs, but uh, yeah, uh, Moutworthy from their side as well. Isaac Davies uh, uh, scoring his sixth goal of the season, all six at home. So, well, definitely uh, a player that likes to play uh, at the Hildesfloris Stadion. Um, that's uh, that's all, but yeah, well, he's been arguably their best player, I guess, even this season. But I have to admit. Can't really say much on that. I don't see that much of Cortec outside of the highlights. And he did score quite some goals. Well, about six. Like it's some not fair enough amount for, for that uh, side that struggles to score anyway. Um, but um, yeah. On Union, that's 20 games unbeaten in the league now. Uh, that's well an impressive run. Um, also won all six games against Cortec so far since, uh, since their return to the first division. Um, and what else? Well, Teclap got a first start, maybe worth to mention um, as well. Nothing, not nothing too more, much more to add to that, but well, just that that fact on its own. And maybe Eckert Ayenza with I, I suppose you could still say about after all one of the worst misses of the season, I guess. Like in, already in the second minute or third minute, uh, almost for uh, well, he needs to tap it in. 
but he types it like completely at uh, Pirard's feet. He said, uh, "Well, he makes up for it with the assist for the first goal for from Rasmussen, of course." But uh, yeah, he 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 is having a little bit of a slump in scoring. Well, also in playing time, he's not playing that much lately as well. So also for him, a rare start lately. Um, that the the rotation a bit with the with European games now uh, coming back, I guess, uh, and the cup games and the schedule in general. Uh, but um, yeah, he hasn't scored in. I, I think since match day six or so. No, that might be a bit too early, but like since a few months anyway, not in 2024. And I think it might have been October, maybe even September since his last goal. But um, yeah, uh, so like I said, he made up for it with an assist. And um, yeah, also, well, the goal from Castel Montes does deserve a shout out. It did not only the finish, the finish was really great. I, I'm a little bit bummed that the, in the end it it didn't really go completely go through because the build up uh, was really was really well until like the ball to him towards him actually was not not great and actually intercepted by Kortrijk. They get uh, then uh, Union got the ball back again. He got the ball back, and he had a brilliant finish. But that that whole attack up to that point felt like the ball would go in uh, anyway, and then they actually ruined it. But <laughs> they they got away. Well, in a way, got away with it. So it doesn't matter. There was no way that that Union uh, would have lost or well, not have gotten the three points in this game, though. Uh, like like you guys mentioned as well. Like Scott mentioned, the whole midfield was under control anyway. Yeah, no, you guys summed up really nicely there. Uh, and to be fair, yeah, of course, like they didn't lose any ground on the, the sides above immediately above them either. So it's kind of like it didn't really matter too much to them. Uh, yeah, I was going to say Tech Lab. It's cool to see him start. Uh, Eritrean uh, eligible. I don't know if he's actually played for the national team yet, but it's pretty cool to see an Eritrean footballer um, in Belgium. Most of the times when we see an Eritrean sportsman in Belgium, they're usually on a bike. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to see him with the ball at their feet. Uh, instead of kind of winning sprints or, yeah, trying to win some sprint races like Vinium Gamay. Uh, let's go to Brussels, St. Uh, Sudan against Anderlecht. Um, Anderlecht starting Arnstad at left back. Um, always thought it was a bit weird that he was going to be playing at full back and then saw the first goal and I was like, yeah, it's even weirder because, I mean, well, the, the guy's creative and can pass but apparently he can't pass backwards um he instead just found stoikers just running past him stoikers ran through and scored it was awful really bad really really bad um kind of stayed at one nil uh to st Sudan before half time they're playing quite nicely again trying to kind of hit on the counter where they could play it out as well um i said to you guys going from watching them playing out successfully to watching Urban try to play out like, literally within the space of half an hour was just like chalk and cheese. It was a horrible, horrible thing to have to do. But this is what we do for this podcast. Uh, we watch <laughs> teams that can't play out <laughs> compared to teams that can. Um, second half, just the game completely switches on its head within the space of like five, six minutes. Um, talking to Hazard, who's been in really good form recently, uh, starting to kind of show, show a bit more. He makes it 1-1 just before the 50th minute. Strykens then in the 52nd makes it two. Dolbo then taps it in the 55th to make it three. Vasquez then scores from the spot. And the left win 4-1. Everyone forgets about the first half. Everyone's happy with the second half. They didn't lose any ground to Union. Stay within the title race. Um, gap to them and Club Bruges is now nine points. Uh, so that could be quite significant. They're the only team 
them and Union are only kind of the, the only two sides really guaranteed of that top six finish. Um, and yeah, Yari Vashon with two assists. Nice to see him. Still yet to score this season, but nice to see him back and kind of providing some assists. And for Sintud and that probably does it for their kind of playoff one hopes. I think we weren't really considering them as playoff one hopefuls. I just, I just don't think they, they can be consistent enough uh, to kind of put together a run. But all in all, fantastic season for them. And yeah, it was nice to see them playing some nice football at times during this one. Well, this game actually had um, Alan Minda's wonder goal aside, my moment of the weekend. Now, Torgan Hazard, who Ben mentioned, scored this weekend. And for those uh, who, who keep a, and I'm going to use a bird metaphor here, an eagle eye on things in Belgium, you will have noticed that part of his goal celebration involved mimicking a bird. And there's a lovely story behind this. Well, I think it's lovely anyway. Um, Torgan Hazard's uh, pet parakeet, Toto, uh, which he's had for a for a number of years, uh, passed away recently, and um, it was actually his children who said to him, "Look, Dad, if you score this weekend, you know you have to dedicate it to to Toto," and that's what he did. And I love these little moments where you know there are quite significant little stories behind things that make absolutely no sense at all when you see them. <laughs> um, so you know, um, yeah, just just a lovely moment, and you know, but for Alan Minda. Um, this would have been my entire moment of the weekend. So that's my little moment of the weekend, but just just a lovely one. Anderlecht didn't turn up in the first half, as Ben was saying. I, I do not know what was going on there at all. And St Truden, I think, were, were probably worthy of their lead at that stage. I think, I suspect there were some crosswords in the home dressing room because, you know, you get three goals within a six-minute spell and everyone's like, right, it's okay, that, that, that didn't happen. Um but, you know, Anderlecht have had these spells in games where sometimes they've started slowly or they, they, they've had a fallow period in a game where they've had to kind of get their act together. Um, the score flatters them maybe a little bit, but they did take their chances, to, to be fair to them. Um, St. Truden, I agree with Ben. I think that's probably it for the playoff one hopes now. Um, I think one of the interesting takeaways for them this weekend is we saw the first playing minutes for new signing Adriano Bertaccini. Um, and we're all looking forward to seeing what 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 he can do in 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 the top flight because he's been well protected by um, Torsten Fink uh, up to now for a few weeks. So he's obviously been eased in there. Yeah, um, Stokers uh, unwrapping the gift and Dreyer didn't uh, a bit later on in the in the first half as well, uh, where he has similar. Uh, catastrophe or potential catastrophe happened in the in the Sintuada defense. Well, similar, different. I think it was still with Sintuada playing out while here with with uh, what actually materialized with Stokers was a long ball where where Arnstadt already didn't head well and then indeed gave a back pass. Well, even a, a even worse back pass and made it worse. Um, yeah, but. Not not really great uh, for for, uh, for uh, first half for Anderlecht indeed, uh, but they did secure their playoff uh, their Champions playoff spots um, in the second half. Officially now, um, could Suzuki have done more on that Hazard goal? Is also a, a, it's a weird one. Like it's, I have that feeling. It, it, I don't know. It goes in in a weird way. Anyway, there's a little bounce and it bounces. Well, it's a header. It bounces on the floor and then it goes still on top of him. I think his positioning probably was not completely great there. Um, yeah, but okay. Um, 
that uh, that's that's that. But yeah, in a in a sense, it's also a typical game on the like Scott maybe said about it and on in an Anderlecht way. Also from a Sinterada perspective, I guess relatively typical game of this season. Uh, yeah, the, they 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 go go play well in the first half. They build up a lead. And then they throw it away in the second half. Um, yeah, that that's happened on multiple occasions, especially actually against the well, the bigger sides in the league. Kent, Hink, um, yeah, here the here the lead was only one, of course, but uh, that also means that they, it could be turned around really quickly. And um, yeah, the Anrecht really did in these six or seven minutes there. There, and also another another thing. Yeah, we we'll talked about it a little bit before. Uh, I think last week or two weeks ago. Um, yeah, their away form is just not good enough to to really have that shout for the Champions playoffs. And yeah, I agree again. Like uh, I think now they they need they are six points behind plus a game. Yeah, so they seven points virtually behind. So they will would have need three of the next four games to yeah at least win three of them to start with <laughs> or take points in three of them. And that's then without any of the teams between. Yeah, grabbing any points that's probably even mathematically not not even possible uh, anymore but uh yeah uh, nonetheless a good season for them and uh we'll see how if it peters out or if they can pick it up again and and find good form to to fight for this uh well for the for the last european tickets in the other playoff yeah that's obviously still a possibility for them as well um yeah, I'm just i mean also interested to see what they look like next season like see if they build on this or if they just completely kind of don't <laughs> in trying to find a better word to say, but I can see them not building on it and kind of wasting what's been a very good season, uh, unfortunately. But we shall see. Uh, one side who's not had a good season are Erpen. They hosted Ghent, who've had a terrible 2024, uh, including a loss during the week to Maccabi Haifa. I said to you guys, because I was watching this one, that Ghent could have easily won about 4 0. They had a billion chances. They obviously lost 1 0. Um, big man Piero scoring the goal. That was originally, I think, given offside, but he, he was miles onside. Uh, really, really frustrating game to watch because they were by far the better, the better team. They played the better football. They just had the better quality. They just couldn't score. Um, so I think as of recording, they're playing tomorrow evening in that one. But I think it's behind closed doors because of fears of like what might happen if it's not behind closed doors, even though the other the game in Budapest wasn't behind closed doors. Um so it feels a little bit kind of <laughs> mean, I guess. Like, how come Maccabi get to have fans? Because they had fans there and Ghent did have like a couple of fans there. But pitch was rubbish as well. Heim was right. The pitch was awful, but Ghent still had enough chances to win the game. Uh, they went to Urpen where the pitch wasn't too great. Urpen, as I said, trying to play it out from the back all the time as well. Ghent took the lead through Hong after 13 minutes. Uh, really, really nice finish from him. So great to see him back in the side. I can't even remember Urpen having any chances apart from there was one where like Charles Cook just basically had to tap it in, but he kicked it out for almost a corner. Um, and that was kind of the best chance they had. They just looked really poor. They looked really kind of boring to watch. They didn't really do anything exciting. They looked like they're just destined to finish second bottom to me or even bottom. I just, I'd really, this game, I, was just, I just don't see them having much hope because I've seen Ghent be really kind of troubled by teams that, have mobility and stuff up front, which they had, but knew who's just not the player that he was kind of predicted he would become. Unfortunately, I think there was all that time, wasn't there, where Genk were massively linked with him to spend like what, like four or five million. And I think they probably made the right decision not to, judging by kind of 
how he just doesn't really kind of seem to have really kind of pushed on from that season where he did kind of burst onto the scene. Um, so yeah, frustrating for them. Samuel's goal was really decent, actually a really nice finish from him. Ghent probably could have scored a couple more if they wanted to, but they never really had to do much. Like, I don't think they were incredible or played like, it's like, oh, they're back to playing well, good football and stuff like that. They just did what they had to do, won this one reasonably comfortably. It started absolutely pissing it down by the end of the game, which kind of summed up the mood of everyone in the uh, in the get in the kind of ground by the end of it. Um, so yeah, good solid win for them, which keeps their top six hopes alive. For Urpen, it's just yeah another kind of wasted chance because you felt with the form getting in, they they could have probably got something out of this if they'd had a little bit more about them. Well, the positive news for the Buffaloes this week um, and for Big Hine is they they've won a game this year. Um, uh, I think that's their first win in all competitions in nine, nine or ten, something like that, which obviously is 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 not good. Uh, but they've done it, uh, and that was the important thing, kind of stopping stopping the rot. I still feel it's going to be very touch and go whether they scrape into playoff one um, or not. They've still left themselves um, a little bit to do, and I think they're going to need results to kind of go their way as well. Uh, Open, I completely agree with Ben. I honestly feel they're they're, they're gone already. I'm looking at the last four games, and um, they've got Cercla, Anderlecht, St Truden, which you know is is a winnable game, I suppose, and um, Standard, who who will be looking at this particular fixture, the last fixture, as one that really they have to win because of the situation they're in, and they just you know. <laughs> so many problems but we were talking a couple of weeks ago about you know how it's been you know a considerable period of time since he scored two goals in a game never mind one so I, I just yeah I, I think they're gone I, I I don't see barring a miracle which is what they're going to need now you know that there's going to be enough anywhere even with results going their way for them to even scrape into the playoff for me now yep no goal scorers in the last four for open indeed so that's um <laughs> On the whole, quite clear that uh, that that uh, you don't win games like that. They really desperately do need to win some games. Um, yeah, also big fat zero goals, but also big fat zero points for for for, for in those games. So that's uh, well less surprising given that first statistic already. But yeah, that's that's really not yeah not helping them. Um, the only thing that that might encourage them maybe is that. Well, they're not the only one. They're they're actually the only, the last of the five t- teams at the bottom that that haven't. Okay, I have to rephrase this. The last five teams haven't won in the classification. So, but they were also the last ones to play. So to fulfill that list, <laughs> that's what I tried to uh, and failed to say before. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that that's the only thing that they can maybe be happy about. Well, on the other hand, of course. Uh, in the case of Leuven and Charleroi, they they run away one point extra. Um, that yeah, even if it's only one point at this stage, it, it really starts to matter a lot. And uh, yeah, for Gent, um, all uh, indeed, also the first win of 2024, um, keeping them for the moment in the Champions playoffs. But they indeed have a tough schedule. Uh, I think they play against Antwerp this weekend, then against Standard. Well, there again, is it the Standard of the before or not? And uh, also, they still have to face Union uh, again as well. And then they f- uh, they finish with probably on paper the easier game, uh, the home game, I believe it is against Charles Um But yeah, they might have their own struggle going on there, so it might be the worst timing to face <laughs> for them even as well uh, potentially uh, if we're looking uh, in the yeah in a glass ball. But um, we'll 
in Cristobal, but we'll have to see. Um, but, and also, of course, now Europe, um, they played reasonably well. Maybe this will boost them a bit for 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 Europe. And if they get a boost in Europe, maybe that will boost, will give them again another confidence boost for the remainder of the of these fixtures as well. We know they can be a good side. Of course, we know they could they could be a good side with all the players before and now. Some players have shown some some things, I guess, already. But yeah, they they really, yeah, they really need that confidence boost, and and, and that it's, uh, yeah, and and I'm not sure if this game would have gotten them that, but they won a game. That's probably a good start. I think uh, Van Aanholt also basically the gist of his interview was also well that, <laughs> um, well they they won the game. That was important. That could have gone better. Probably should have done better. Don't know. Wasn't needed, but. <laughs> But uh, yeah, um, and yeah, on Urp- one last thing on the open, and of course, in this specific game, maybe they had a little more chances than Ben were as saying. But like, yeah, it didn't look like it, and like in the end, the expected goals and the shots on target were like quite evenly distributed through well, against both sides. But of and 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 Gento only scored in the in the second half, uh, the, at least the second goal. So yeah, that uh, yeah th- that that made it. Ah, uh, yeah, that that made it, um, yeah, not necessary for them to push through. But uh, yeah, the, the, it it could have been better. But they will be happy with that win. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be confidence boosting at least a little bit. And I don't, I can see, yeah, Urban going down, but beating Standard on the last day of the season to kind of drag them into the playoff as well. It's going to be one of those stupid things, isn't it, where they just. They just will do that, despite not being able. They but they won't score until then or something, and then they'll score that like, three goals in the first five minutes, and it'll just be absolute chaos <laughs> um, in the age. Uh, Yoris mentioned about looking into the crystal ball. Uh, we do have a list of question which we'll quickly get to before we go to the Challenger Pro League, which does want us to look into the crystal ball. Um, it's from Yolan. Uh, Yolan asked, "Who do you think will be in playoff one? I believe, especially with the tough schedules of Club Antwerp and Ghent, none are safe apart from Anderlecht and Union, which yeah." That sounds quite true now. Uh, Gank and Circle have a relatively easy schedule. Can Mechelen or St. Sweden still make it? What do you guys think? We've kind of touched a little bit on this already. Um, so, Scott, if you just want to give you a kind of quick who you think outside of Union and Anderlecht will make it into playoff one. Uh, well, I think it'll largely be as it is at the moment, but I do think Genk are going to make it in in the end, which will please Joris. I, I think they're going to finish the season reasonably strongly and enough to get them in there. I think the side that are going to drop out, and it's just in the basis of form at the moment, regardless of the remaining fixtures, is is Ghent. You just do not know what you're getting there at the moment. Circla have a, a favourable run of fixtures for the last few weeks, um, and I can see them picking up enough points to, to, to bag what I think would be a pretty well-deserved spot in, in playoff one. Yeah, and then it's still it's I still can't. But okay, so I'll, after Friday, I might already speak differently. If Hank don't <laughs> win that game, things look different. Uh, that then probably that would be a good sign for for both Glurige and Antwerp. But if they do win, yeah, then the chances are that at least one of those sides loses points, and they're like now four and five points ahead. And like I said, there is a game between uh, Hank and Glurige still coming up as well. I wouldn't count them complete, rule them completely out as well. Actually, 
even more entrepreneurial to believe because despite their recent fixture, uh, well, uh, like the, on schedule, they 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 uh, on, on the score line. I mean, they they actually did have a okay start of the 2023, but uh, 2024. Uh, but but uh, in in yeah, in some of those games that they won, they they've been quite lucky as well. Uh, performances have not been great. They they okay. They, they they have oh yeah I didn't mention that this week I wanted to say it as well on their game this time no uh, shot from long range that that's uh, saved them out yeah that has happened a few times in the in recent weeks um, of course uh, that that's a, in a way a quality but also it's not something you can really build on uh, week after week and yeah but so I I, I would not be surprised if one of Lubrika Ant- or Antwerp would still yeah, at least be also be tickled for uh, the next couple of weeks. Will they really fall out in the end? Nah, I'm not sure. That I'm not confident enough in Genk myself uh, at the moment. Still, uh, that might again change after Friday. Um, but yeah, the the, the I, I I would indeed like I stay stick with my answer from last week. I think it will go between Genk and Genk for that sixth and seventh uh, spot, uh, with potentially maybe uh, Mechelen. Coming to tickle uh, at the yeah at the bottom as well uh, from from the bottom as well to yeah maybe get, go for a, a late run in run in uh, for it but um, yeah given their fixture it's also not completely surprising yeah and then we can keep going on of course because then in that fixture list is also Michael Sergebrugge so if yeah if it would be good for one of the sides which would change the fate then it also goes for the other side in that case Michael might not be as yeah, fit into it like it feels like, despite the finest of margin they're in at the moment. So yeah, it's probably a question we will ha- get uh, every week anyway. Again, and well, there will be less and less option- uh, speculation <laughs> options for me here because I, I can see this go a lot of ways still. Uh, but okay, I will say uh, so. Champions playoffs will consist out of well, Anderlecht and Union. That's quite clear. Clubrugge, Cerk Clubrugge. And uh, oh, then you still need two teams. So, well, what am I overlooking here, actually? <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I okay, I'll squeeze Genk in. Yes, that's the fifth one. And now, um, how am I here forgetting one team while I was talking about it all the time now? But, uh-huh. uh, uh, no, uh, that I already think, uh-huh. yeah, maybe I did, maybe, yes, I think so. I think so. Mm. Yeah, I think ultimately, yes. Ultimately, only that. So ultimately, it stays the same, except Genk and Gent swap places. Or well, places. regardless of that's fifth or doesn't mean Genk would be fifth in it or no, instead of fifth. Uh, Gent is at the moment, but yes, but I'll stick with that for the moment. And nah, I'll stick with that, even if it's not possible <laughs> anymore in a few weeks' time. <laughs> there you go, folks. It's uh, yeah. the, the race is that hectic. He was changing his mind even as he was making <laughs> <it> up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say, oh, let's go controversial, shall we? I think Genk and Ghent both miss out, and Mechelen sneak their way in. I think that's gonna happen. I just don't trust those two sides to do anything properly, <laughs> as they should. Very much possible. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Scott, quickly go over the challenger, and then we'll just quickly touch on the answer to a question from last week, and I'll probably do it because, yeah. We've probably, people have been listening for a while now, uh, but we definitely don't miss out on the Challenger. Speaking of action-packed weeks, uh, match day 22 in the Challenger Pro League, uh, score roundup, Club Next lost 3-1 to Zelta Varagam, Lierce 
got their first win in nine, actually, against uh, Yong Genk. They won 3 1. Uh, Lommel lost at home to Ustend. Dender beat Beveren 1 0. Sarang lost convincingly 4 0 to RFC Liege. Patro Eisden and Anderlecht Futures played out a 0 0 draw. Denza beat Beershot in the big game at the top 4-2 and SL16 lost 2-1 at home to Frank Baran. So the bigger picture, that means Beershot are still top but only on goal difference now because of that that win of, of, of Denza's. Denza's re- remain in second and since Hans Summers came in there in November, uh, their last 10 games, they've, they've won seven uh, drawn one and only had two defeats, so they absolutely are the informed side in the division at the moment. And I was having a closer look at them today because I thought we should give them a, a little bit of love because uh, the interest in them is increasing, obviously, because they're doing so well. Um, yeah, I mean, as I was saying, you know, they've done really well since they've made the coaching change, I think. Interesting things going on at that club are, are, are things like the fact that almost 50% of their squad is Belgian, which is inherently a good thing, obviously, in itself. They've actually got the highest jewellery as well of all the sides in the CPL, uh, which we know how important that is in, in Belgian football. So that goes some way to explaining some of their success, I think. Um, shout out to, to, to some key players there. Um, club captain Gaetan Hendricks um, is having a really, really solid season, I think. 28-year-old midfielder, former Charleroi, Kartrike and St. Truden midfielder. Um, he's got a combined uh, assists and goals of 11 this season, so seven assists and uh, four goals. But they spread their goals about. I think that's one of the really interesting things about them as well. You know, their uh, joint top scorers, uh, Jellert van Lanskut, uh, six. Uh, Leonard Mertens, obviously, who's on loan, he's got six. Hendricks has got four. One of Ben's favourites, Suleiman Ann, he's got four. So he's pitching in, which isn't too bad. Um, and uh, De Shriver's got three as well. So they're not overly reliant, particularly on their strikers. And I think that goes some way to explaining why they're doing so well at the moment. They've also readjusted the balance in the side um, since Mark Grosjean was sacked and Hans Summers came in. Um, and it seems to be really working out for them. Um, they also take a lot of shots as well, by the way, guys. They've got the third highest shots per game ratio at just under 17 not all of them obviously are on target, but you know they they have an eye for goal and things are working for them at the moment. And I thought it would be nice to to give them um, a little bit of love this week. In terms of what's happening elsewhere, um, obviously Lobel had a really bad result this week. They lost to Ustend. Steve Bold, if any of you saw his after-match press conference, was pretty prickly this week. He was quite short with some of those journalistic answers, so you could tell he was he was not in a good mood at all. And they've been playing quite well recently, so maybe I can understand that. The other big takeaway I think this weekend was Liers, who were in absolute free fall, as we've been mentioning pretty much for the last three weeks. First win in nine, as I was saying, the same week that temporary T1 Geert Emmerecht uh, resigned and left the club um, after uh, a training ground bust up with uh, with some players. Um, so they they've got one of arguably the two wins that they're going to need to kind of keep them keep them above water. Um, speaking of above water, Oostend are above water. See what I did there, guys? Um, with that fantastic um, away win to Lommel. And in terms of the drop zone, Sarang and SL16 are in there. And I think at the moment, um, it looks like both of them might be staying there. Yeah, they look pretty doomed, don't they? Um, and yeah, 
I had to say, Scott, I was a bit confused when you said jewellery. I thought you said jewellery. I was like, Denzel have the highest jewellery in the league. I was like, I don't know how, how you measured that. I'd have been very impressed. <laughs> Some interesting stats being released by the Pro League there. But let like like alone, because I also yeah. had that. <laughs> well, you never know what they're doing in Singapore and uh, where else. Yeah, else. I mean, yeah. Might actually. yeah. <laughs> never know, never know. Uh, I feel like that it, it could be a big momentum shift, that win against Spears, Scott. That could kind of... Mm. We're, we're waiting for the Dirk Kout effect to really have an effect, aren't we? And kind of bring them down a little bit. And you see the kind of the chasing pack behind them all the way down to, to Beveren, basically. Like, it's still not over there. So, it's exciting down there, for sure. Um, quickly before we go, we had a question last week about kind of the academy setup at Union and kind of, can they keep getting lucky with recruitment? Uh, we were like, oh, if Alex is listening, uh, maybe he could drop us line. He did, which is very kind of him. Thank you very much, Alex, for getting in touch. Uh, Alex well, Mazur, of course. Alex is lovely, isn't he, guys? He, he listens every <laughs> week and um, he proved it to us this week by by following <laughs> up on what we were talking about last week. So thanks for that, Alex. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he said it's kind of something they they wish they'd progressed more on, basically since 2018 when they kind of acquired the club and stuff like that. Um it's kind of been a focus and something of kind of genuine interest and effort without much success. It feels like it sounds basically like they've, they've been kind of looking basically to try and find somewhere to host the academy. That's the big problem. Um, anyone involved in acquiring land in Brussels, which I don't know if any of our listeners are, <laughs> will probably agree with him that it's very, very expensive and difficult, um, especially if you want it for a longer period of time, which obviously for an academy, you want a permanent base. You don't want to be kind of jumping around and doing that sort of thing. Um, so they don't want to spend loads of money basically getting this land or something and then in a couple of years be kicked out of that land because it's like all that hard work's gone for nothing uh, so it's it's kind of like a constant process for them uh, is what Alex says um, blah 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 let me just read through this yeah kind of like with the, the training ground it doesn't because of the size of Belgium they've said it doesn't really matter where it is so that's in the air so they can they can have the training ground there they've invested heavily in the training ground but he said they want the academy to be, be a bit more local in kind of proximity to the club which makes it very difficult because then you're like you're obviously a Brussels-based club and if you're training ground for the academy somewhere else it's like logistically and all that sort of stuff so yeah basically it's a work in progress it's not like they're just ignoring it and something but it's complicated by the sounds of it. And we kind of, we mentioned, these are kind of what we thought were the, was the case, but it's kind of, Alex has just spelled it out a little bit more. So hopefully that kind of answers that question a little bit more. And maybe in the future, they'll find something um, a little bit more permanent because yeah, it is, it's obviously an important part of Belgian football that every club needs a strong academy or at least a academy that's got a permanent base. I mean, it, I couldn't imagine logistically trying to get your head around that. It must be an absolute nightmare. So yeah, good luck to, to Alex and the guys there to try and get that off the ground and kind of impart kind of the, the kind of progression and stuff like that that they've got in the first team squad within the first team squad at the moment with young players coming through and stuff to try and get that feel, filtering into the youth sides because you think if they can have success at the senior level they can probably have success at the the youth the youth the youth level uh, as well which brighton have had as well for sure so it's kind of they've got a kind of template ready there um i think that's it for this week guys another another long one uh but hopefully an enjoyable one for everyone involved as always it's been a pleasure it has. It's been a hoot. And uh, have a lovely week, everybody, whatever you're up to. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. Hear you next week. And, uh, well, good luck to uh, to Hint in, in, in Union in Europe this week still, of course. 
yeah, hopefully some more fixtures coming up in Europe with those two sides going through. But it's going to be a tough ask for both of them for different reasons. Yeah, as always, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please do leave us a review or a rating on your podcast app of choice. If you've enjoyed it more than just leaving a rating, you can also donate to our Buy Me A Coffee. You can find the link on our socials. And yeah, thanks once again for listening. And we'll speak to you very soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. <laughs>